Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to Drive Through HR. Uh, I am your host for today, Robin Schooling, and uh, it is Tuesday, October 6, 2020, in, uh, in the year of uh, the longest year in our lives. We're, we're, we're still going strong over here at Drive Through HR. And uh, we're going to have a really, really interesting conversation today. And uh, this, would, this would be an appropriate topic. Um, no matter when we talk about it, but um, I think as we sit here in the 10th month of 2020, it's going to be very, very timely um, as we kind of get through this together. So I am uh, really pleased to welcome our guest today, David Shar. Welcome, David. Thanks so much, Robin. It's great to, it's great to be here virtually. <laughs> it, it is. Well, everything's virtual now, so... You know, we were, uh, I guess, ahead of our time, maybe, by doing the doing <laughs> the show once upon a time. So um, now we've got some great uh, great links and things on our on our landing page. So folks that have found the show will have been able to kind of uh, read a little bit about about you and connect with you. But um, for our listening audience, um, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, what what you do, and how you got where you are. Great. So, um, first of all, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, this is definitely the time to be talking about burnout. I always say that, unfortunately, I've been very busy lately um, <laughs> because it has been it has been just um, uh, everybody is going through um, something right now. Work is not simple right now, regardless of what you do. Um, so I got into this work, actually, um, I took a real roundabout path, uh, that started with ice cream. So I was, uh, a franchisee, very young first business, like brick and mortar business that I owned. It was an ice cream parlor, uh, franchise in Baltimore city. And, um, I knew I was getting into the ice cream business and I thought that was a great idea. Um, but what I didn't realize was, uh, I had bought a pre-existing location and, um, the vast majority of my crew members, uh, came from the inner city areas of Baltimore. Mm. So if you're familiar with the wire, uh, that was not, uh, far off, you know, that HBO mm. show, you know, yep. that highlighted, uh, or low lighted areas of, uh, of Baltimore. Um, and so I was managing these employees and really getting to know them and learn their stories, and some of which were, were beautiful, but many of which were horrifying to me. Um, you know, yeah. I'd grown up this sheltered life, and I didn't know about, you know, relatives um, in jail or being shot down on the street or addicted to drugs. I mean, so many different issues. Um, but over time, uh, these kids, like most of them were teenagers, young adults, would teach me so much more than I ever thought I would know or care about what work really can be and should be and what yeah. leadership really can and should be. 
um, they, they taught me so much about that, that it actually led me um, down a path to get my master's in industrial organizational psychology, going back to school as an old man. Um, and now I am a, um, uh, pursuing my PhD in business psychology, specifically looking at burnout. Because what was fascinating mm-hmm. to me was here's these teenagers that had every reason in the world to give up, throw their hands up and give up, meaning and scooping ice cream. Um, but so many of my good friends who were doctors, lawyers, accountants, nurses, teachers, um, dreaded going to work on Monday, even though they were yeah. making an objectively, you know, meaningful impact on the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, um, I love that story because I think it's so important for people who work in HR, you know, which is, of course, our listening audience. Um, But, um, you know, there's such a need for us to learn about and understand the factors in other people's lives and what they're bringing with them to the workplace and it, and it might be something very different than, than I grew up with or my people on my HR team grew up with. But until we, until we sort of learn ourselves, um, right. how can we, how can we work with folks in our organizations, I guess? Um, right. So you, um, so you've had a busy year um, and, yeah. and I just find the whole, the whole concept around around you know burnout um you know we're bandying about that phrase uh, quite a bit more mm-hmm. but how um how do you define burnout what is burnout right so so it it's true in our vernacular we're always talking about burnout i feel burnout that person's burnout and sometimes we're clinically correct when we're saying that and and other times we're describing something that might be slightly different um traditionally burnout um, has three legs to it. So um, those three main components of burnout are emotional exhaustion. Um, mm. And that's not physical exhaustion. However, the emotional exhaustion very quickly can lead to physical exhaustion and even physical ailments, like psychosomatic mm-hmm. um, sort, of, sort of ailments. Um, and then, uh, so, so emotional exhaustion is one of those things. And when you're looking at it through this frame of 2020, uh, who among us is not emotionally exhausted and overwhelmed by everything going on yep. in our lives right now, um, inside and outside of work? Um, mm-hmm. The second piece is um, cynicism, or um, we like to call it uh depersonalization. So basically it's like this concept where we are feeling emotionally exhausted. And so we start separating ourselves from our work. We start putting up Mm -hmm. these emotional barriers. And really um, part of it is for our own psychological safety. And in HR, I've seen um, HR practitioners do this where um, because like you said, it's so important to know the stories, to learn the stories of the people who work for us, um, but often within HR and within management generally, it's a lot easier emotionally to put up a mm-hmm. boundary and start to talk about these people as the other or as employee number X, Y, Z, that's so much easier. So um, I do 
this keynote where I talk about building a kinder kind of workplace, and I do this for um, SHRM chapters and state chapters, et cetera. And what I ask in the very beginning is, why did you get into HR? What is your why? And, mm-hmm. and we just create a word cloud. People have to throw out one word. And it always becomes this beautiful thing. But, uh, you know, with, with people and, and change and helping and, you know, all these diversity and all of these different beautiful reasons, but how quickly do we start losing those? Right? right, and start putting up those boundaries so that cynicism starts setting in. And when you look at the world around us, how are we not cynical? I don't care if you're watching Fox News or CNN, whatever you're watching, you're getting contradictory news every two seconds. Um, like the answers that we want aren't accessible. Like when is this thing going to be over? <laughs> Nobody's mm-hmm. got that answer. So we're, we're cynical about so much right now. And then the final piece is this reduced sense of personal accomplishment. We start, we start to feel that we are churning our wheels um, twice as fast and getting half as much done. And this can mm-hmm. be real or imagined. Um, in today's day and age, uh, it is absolutely real um, for your employees, but also for you in HR when you are juggling so much more um, with with all of the new policies coming down um, and regulation and what do you do with telework? And by the way, you still have to do your normal job at the same time. Yep. I, yeah, you know, those three, uh, the kind of those three points, those three stages. um, uh, Yes. uh, That resonates very deeply with me because I, I can certainly point to, um, an employment experience or two in my life where uh, most assuredly I went through that. It, it, it started with, yeah, the emotional exhaustion and, and it truly did become physical because I would come home. I wasn't necessarily working any more hours than I had previously, but I would come home at the end of the day, just physically, physically worn out. Um, right. Started to, still do my job but kind of distance myself from the organization and of course it kicked in that's the time I'm going to go start looking looking for a new role and and that type of thing and oh yes cynical absolutely absolutely and just um at least you know I I was very self-aware that something's happening here and you know what I either need to fix it or and maybe the fixing was removing myself from that particular organization and, and position, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Um, I think that's out there, and um, we tend to, in HR, I think take take so many of those things onto our shoulders. Um, right, right, and, and, and yeah, and, and it, it try absolutely. to make it better. Yeah, and I love how you pointed out that you were aware of it and you sought to separate from the employer, and you know. Uh, it would be great if we could not have that sort of turnover that we see mm-hmm. um, when, when uh, people are burning out. However, the alternative, one alternative is to fix the problem before it even happens. But, yeah. but we can talk about yeah. that. But, but the alternative to turnover often is not pretty. Um, if the burnout, uh, the situations that cause the burnout remain, 
Um, and we see this in law firms. So small law firms um, see higher turnover. Um, large law firms actually have a surprisingly low amount of turnover, um, but they have a very high amount of burnout. And so what you see when people burn out and do not exit um, can be very ugly in terms yeah. of having somebody who is that cynical remaining in the organization and then having issues with employees who are now self-medicating in a variety of ways. Um, yeah. we, see, we see a ton of really um, scary and sometimes reckless behaviors um, uh, when people burn out and they don't then take that as a signal to take care of themselves, um, either mm -hmm. by separating themselves or um, by focusing on their wellness or, or whatnot. Um, but if it's not taken care of, it's not going to go away. Yeah. So let's, so let's, you know, let's imagine that, that there's this company um, where burnout is occurring, but the company's identified that or is being proactive in saying we want to ensure our people don't get to that stage. What, what should businesses do to kind of prevent that burnout from happening in the first place? So it, I'm, I'm a little unique in the burnout field in the sense that my feeling is, and, and you've been around in HR, right? So what mm -hmm. happens, it's almost like when you say burnout, like word association, burnout, resilience training, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we bring people in and we put together wellness programs and we tell people, that they need to do more yoga and they need to breathe and they need to put up boundaries. And, and, and so much of that is extremely dead on super important. I mean, we're in 2020 right now. No organization could have <laughs> um, set up barriers to protect, um, you know, their culture around, around this. So people mm -hmm. are burning out. Right. And they, and they need to learn to be more resilient, but, the fact that we jump right to resilience training, it's almost like um, the, that, that horrible metaphor of blaming the woman for wearing a short skirt, right? Mm, or, mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's almost like, so yeah, you look at your organization and you say, wow, people are really burned out here. And we say, okay, we're going to continue to stress you out, but we're going to give you the tools to deal with it. And <laughs> And it, yep. it seems silly because um, we're putting the onus on the employees instead of asking the question, why is this happening and why is it ha happening systemically? Because burnout, we see, yeah. can, can seem to be very contagious. Maybe that's not because it rubs off so easily from one person to the other, but because it's in the water itself. It's in the policies and the culture itself. Mm -hmm. um, so my argument is always we need to start there. We need to look at what are we doing in terms of our – so when we talk about emotional exhaustion, right, it, it, we find that people – it used to be that we thought people got burnout from the work itself. But So my, my um, research focus is actually on looking at meaningful work and the relationship with burnout because what I find okay. fascinating is – who do we find burning out more than anybody? Nurses, teachers, clergy has a really high burnout rate, social mm -hmm. workers, right? 
Mm-hmm. These are, by definition, you've got large numbers of people that go into those lines of work not for the paycheck. They're mm-hmm. going in there because they want to make a difference. And what happens? When we, find, when we ask people what burns you out and we really start diving deep, they don't feel burnt out. A nurse does not feel burnt out when they are helping their patient. A teacher does not feel burnt out when they're helping their students. They feel burnt out when their hands are tied behind their backs because of these policies often that are just relic policies that have no place yep. in the workplace, you know, that are tying their hands behind their backs and holding them back from doing what you hired them to do and, and from doing what is the very reason they got into the work to begin yep. with. And, and so that's where I always suggest people, people begin. And I have a whole... Um, it's called the FTF burnout proof um, culture model, but it, it's this whole model that looks at everything from selection and everything. But when I'm talking to people, I really suggest that you start there. Look at your policies, mm-hmm. open your handbook, both the one you have actually written down, but also the one that is, that is embedded in your culture, just the way we yep. do things, norms in our organization, and ask why about every element in there. And if you yep. don't have a good answer, take it out. Yeah. I think, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting as you kind of talk through those those representative types of jobs, what's yeah. interesting about that is um, those are the exact same jobs and people and roles that we discovered, oh, in about March of this year were truly our essential workers. <laughs> You know, and so here we've got this huge swash of you know of people who are doing that that hard work that they're passionate about that's really kind of keeping the world going um and yet right. are they burning out are they the one they were burning out before um Right. So what's happening in in 2020, and we're going to talk about 2020 here in a second. Um, just kind of want to do a brief reset on the show. We are um, on Drive Through HR today, talking to our guest David Shar, and um, we're about uh, two thirds of the way through. So we've got about 10 minutes or so left um, talking about burnout and what companies can do to be aware of and and um, take some steps to mitigate it. So. 2020, as we as we keep tossing out all through the show, um, and just kind of living living through a global pandemic, um, is is obviously changing the time we're in right now. What what do you think the long term effects of this will be um, in in the world of work, and kind of you know how people will adapt when they do go back to a physical office down the road, perhaps. Right. Yeah. So I think I'm I'm very hopeful about the long term effects. I think the the moderate time effects are going to be a little bit messier. Um, we already see uh, surveys of, as you mentioned, teachers, um, where majority of teachers I forget what it was. It was like sixty plus percentage of teachers um, polled by um, uh, Ed Week, I believe it was said that they are going to be looking for new work. That's a very Mm. scary number. Wow. Um, That's that's incredibly frightening. And maybe it will be within the same 
um, industry. Maybe they will, they will still be teachers, but that's a big um, mix-up. Um, yeah. And I don't know how people within the, uh, within the assisted living space are planning mm-hmm. on continuing to attract people to that line of work. I think we're going to see mm-hmm. incredible amounts of turnover as the economy um, improves. And people are going to be running um, from many of these uh, career paths and many of their employers, I think, I think in, the, in the medium term. In the long term, I think that we're looking at some really positive things. Um, I, I know I have been preaching for years about um, the importance of telework um, and yeah. the importance of switching um, our thought process from uh, it's not about work life balance, but work life integration. Um, And that's what, that's what, you know, our younger workers have been, have been begging for. Um, And very quickly, when I talk about policies that don't have, you know, they have no reason for being there. um, I Mm -hmm. I refer to them as vestigial policies. um, Because if you've taken biology, I flunked out of biology a couple times in my early college career. So, you know, vestigial structures are these ideas of like your wisdom teeth are vestigial structures. They're these, these things that remain from our old diet and the shape our skull used to have. And over time, you know, things changed, but those teeth are still there. And now instead of being beneficial for us, all they do is cause incredible amounts of pain and discomfort for teenagers and young adults everywhere. So um, if telework isn't a vestigial policy, in a lot of industries, I don't know what is. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like it had its its reasons why you couldn't telework before. We didn't have smartphones, we didn't have internet, we didn't have any of these things. But then we then we developed them, and we still said, no, no, no you got to sit at your office from nine yep. o'clock in the morning till five p.m. Um, so I think long term, um, now that people's hands have been forced, I think there's going to be a lot more of that sort of telework, a lot more emphasis on work-life integration in general. Um, And I think that this brought out the human side. And I think, I hope um, that it will, that it will continue to bring out the human side a little bit more of work. Yeah. Well, and, you know, kind of, uh, I always, one of my uh, most hated HR policies that exists in far too many organizations is the um, the very draconian sort of attendance policy yeah. that is driven by again it's kind of that but you know have your button the chair at mm-hmm. nine o'clock but when we say nine o'clock we don't mean nine o one if you're there at nine o one you are late and you're going to get a point and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna track this this minutia of time. Um, right. Now that makes sense in certain roles. Nine o'clock means nine o'clock. You're doing a shift change, or you're a healthcare worker, and you got to hand off to the nurse that's coming behind you. But when it's you know Susie in marketing, what does it matter if she starts at nine or nine fifteen? Right. Um, and uh, you know why add that stress to Susie that you know she's stuck in traffic and she's going to be late by one minute and she's gonna she's gonna just be you know wailed on. By, by her supervisor who's living by this old policy and this old way of doing things. So we're creating, yeah. like you said, we're creating these conditions that just drive that that burnout, that drive that exhaustion, that drive that cynicism, that right. drive right. all and of that. And how transactional is that too? Like if I, 
is I've always felt through my management career, um, through my career in consulting, I've always felt that any of your relationships, if I'm going to make it transactional, then they have every right to be transactional right back at me. If yeah, I'm yeah. going to ensure that you are there at nine o'clock on the dot, then who am I to complain or insist that when, when that employee decides to get out of their seat at five o'clock on the dot, oh, I just have one more thing for you. Sorry, it's five. Yep, yep. Out. Um, that I, as far as I'm concerned, if, if you're going to require me to be in my seat at nine o'clock, I could be gone at five. However, if this is transformational and we are talking about, um, about our mission and our vision together and we are working on this together, mm-hmm. then let's, let's get rid of these, of these ideas of like just, just measuring and like everything being so transactional. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's where we have, um, organ, you know, in many organizations, um, there's a lot of work to do on, on that sort of thing. And I do think, you know, HR, um, HR leaders um, can be and should be at the forefront of, of driving that change and having those conversations and hopefully yeah. are, are strong enough um, and courageous enough really to, to go in there. Cause a lot of times it's just being courageous enough to speak up and challenge the powers that be um, right. ar- around that thinking. Um, right. And, and also, just, uh, it's not, it's not, you know, not to insult any of your listeners, but you know, uh, I live in this in and around this HR world often and within HR itself, um, there are people in both camps, and there are yeah. people oh, yeah. who are sort of the old guard of HR, which compliance is everything to them. Um, yeah. And I and I see I see the winds changing here, um, but I think but I think there is this contingency, and it is this um, struggle within HR itself. We have to decide what HR is going to be all about. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, we're getting close to wrapping up, so let me ask you one one final question here um, for a somewhat of a somewhat of a brief answer. But um, sure. if I if I discover um, as an HR professional or or a leader that my employees are burned out, what's the first thing that um, that I should do? You got to talk to them and find out what's going on. They're humans. Okay. They're going to have answers. They're going to have ideas. Um, and a lot of what a, a lot of the research um, would point to is that a lot of it is that they feel unsupported. Um, mm-hmm. So how can we increase support? And support does not just come from a supervisor; it can come from coworkers as well. And within HR, mm-hmm. we there are systems available and software and and all sorts of programs available for us to be able to implement these things to encourage. Um, uh, more coworker support. Um, yeah. They also need not just autonomy, but decision authority. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just you do this and you decide how you're going to do it, but you decide what we should do at times. Mm-hmm. And people should be part of that decision-making, um, that decision-making process. And um, finally, and perhaps most importantly, we need to reconnect people to the to the mission, their, their mission. What yep. are they there to do? Why did they get into this line of work to begin with? And we need to yep. reconnect them to that. 
Um, we need our vision, as it's been said too often, but cannot just be on the wall. We need to figure mm-hmm. out what, what work really means um, to our employees. Yep. Oh, love it. Yep, love it. And um, good tips, um, even even at any time, not just in the year yeah. that we're in. So, right. um, what a great uh, what a great conversation, David. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, before we close up here, if you just want to let our listeners know where they can find you um, online, website, Twitter, etc. Sure. So I live on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me and continue the conversation there. It's linkedin.com slash David Shar, spelled S-H-A-R. Um, you could also find me and some more information about me on my website at illuminatepmc.com. Um, and I see you probably have that in your show notes. Yes, um, we do. And that's, uh, that's a great place to find links to my email, my phone, et cetera. Um, and uh, I would love to connect. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for um, having this conversation with us today. And uh, glad you joined us on Drive Through HR. And we are done. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Robin, for hosting me. Absolutely.